You're about to listen to the Healthy Church Growth Show with me, Madge Abasaki, minister, author, and visionary of growthechurchnow.com. I'm also known as the Healthy Church Growth Advocate. My guests on this show are fellow ministers, church leaders, and experts in their field. We'll share practical tips to address challenges and provide solutions for the church at large every Monday. Enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Hello and welcome to another episode. This is episode 17 of the Healthy Church Growth Show podcast with me, Madge Abasaki. And today I have a very special guest with me. Uh, It's such an honor. She's an award-winning academic and she's an educational consultant. She's also the senior leader of Restoration Ministries, uh, Restoration Fellowship Ministries, I should say. And I've had the pleasure of interacting with them and working with them. And she is also the principal of Kingdom School of Theology. Welcome, Dr. Carol Tomlin. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. I'm fine. Just a plug for the University of Leeds. I'm also a visiting fellow at the University of Leeds. Yes, Um, yeah. We'll include that in your um, notes uh, for this particular. uh, Yeah, she's got lots of accolades. And I should say, she's written a very good book, which I have a copy of. Um, I haven't got it in front of me, otherwise I would have uh, waved it. But um, it's called Preach It. And... uh, Ah, there, there it is. And, and Preacher is Understanding African and Caribbean uh, Preaching. So if you want to understand it in great detail, then that is the book. Um, it was recommended by my university, by lecturers there. So I'm, I'm really honoured to have you today. So we're talking theology. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, you're the principal of Kingdom School of Theology. But we want to know what theology really is, because a lot of people hear that word and just think about academics. Um, and they po- possibly think about pastors in larger churches but they don't realize as we were talking earlier they don't realize that they're actually using theological terms like god bless america hello oh my god it's a god-given gift jesus christ you know people say these things all the time rightly or wrongly in lots of realm the secular realm as as well as within um, Christian circles. So people are engaging with theology uh, indirectly, but what, Dr. Carol, does theology actually mean? That's a very good question. Theology means, in the strictest sense of the word, the study of God. It purely and literally and simply means the study of God. It's actually from the uh, patriology is the kind of technical term but theology is the study of God which as you rightly said all of us study God even those who claim that they are atheists they do so with an evidential basis that there isn't a God but they are still studying God so it's literally the study of God there are many sources 
in terms of theology, and I, I promise that I will not be too technical and I'll break those down. So we're all engaged in theology. Even children are engaged in theology. Even questions such as, oh, does God exist? Mm. Or do you believe in God? Mm. Or questions like, oh, God made the trees. God, you know, in, in, you know what children are like. So yeah. even children are engaged in the study of God in a very simple way. And especially pastors who devote the amount of time to reading the Bible and studying the different facets of God. So we can look at theology in terms of natural theology, the study of trees, the study of nature, the study of the sea. And so when we study those kinds of nat the natural world, we then get an inroad into the study of God. Theology can be looked at in terms of biblical theology so when we say theology it's divided into then subsections if you like so there's the revealed theology or biblical theology as god reveals himself in the bible and many people of the pentecostal and charismatic tradition would favor more the biblical theology as god is revealed in the bible uh, yes, yes. Uh, uh, that's mm. a that's a good point uh, i mean i actually come from all sorts of backgrounds because i actually went to church of england and anglican school ah. um but then i ended up with the united reformed church when my father decided to move us from one part of london to the other and then when I left the United Reformed Church, because I was very disappointed with some of um, the reactions and attitudes, let's say, I actually stopped attending an assembly until I was in my 30s. And then I ended up with my first of a few Pentecostal assemblies and now I feel like I'm non-denominational so I've got I've got a yes. foot in every door so let me ask you something is it enough then for people to believe what is in the Bible you often hear people saying Jesus is enough what, what would your answer be to that that's a very good question clearly Jesus is sufficient and the bible itself says that talks about the sufficiency of jesus paul himself talks about that but we have to understand the bible in context the bible is first a historical document it documents israel's history or parts of it that's the first thing the second thing about the bible is that it documents key individuals and their lives in terms of their relationship with God. So it's also a document or a book that tells us how we can live our life. That's the second thing about the Bible. The other thing, and this is where it becomes a little bit more technical, is that unless you understand some of the cultural context, yeah. the setting, the background of the Bible. And you and I were having a discussion about this. For example, Jesus in his parable, parables used a lot of the agricultural 
artifact he used examples like seed he used and the sower and the seed he used agricultural the, he really based a lot of his teaching on the agricultural world which would have been familiar to his hearers now in the 21st century individuals like myself who have never lived in an agricultural context it is foreign so for example a study of the background of the bible including the new testament would give me more of an understanding of the divine revelatory word mm -hmm. but then people would still mm. argue that if it's in the Bible, it must be right. Mm -hmm. Right. What say you? The right. What say I is that unfortunately, the Bible, in my view, and I do believe in the plenary view of the Bible, which means that the Bible has been inspired by God. But I believe that unfortunately, it is not always divinely interpreted. Mm. And what I mean by that is that we can all read the biblical text and sometimes because we don't understand the background the context of the biblical text we often take it out of context someone calls it proof of texting in other words you take one verse and let me give you an example yes please do we sometimes will say well the bible says that an adulterer obviously we don't believe in adultery in the old testament people that committed adultery were stoned and so individuals who carte blanche quote the bible and say we believe and do what the bible says how come in the 21st century you are not stoning individuals who commit adultery for mm -hmm. example and that may be extreme but when unfortunately individuals quote the bible they often do so without the context and so it's important that we have a proper study of the bible so you mentioned earlier um oh. at the beginning that you know oh. the bible is a historical document yeah so how are people how do people understand the history behind those verses uh, you know apostle paul you've got um the synoptic gospel which is uh, matthew mark luke and you know what what how will people understand that in 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 the context you're talking about well unfortunately people don't understand it because they don't understand for example that the old testament as i said is a historical narrative of the history of israel it also is an overview of their prophets and it signposts to Jesus because all the prophecies in the Old Testament were foretelling of the birth and reign and inauguration of the kingdom of God via Jesus. And so in the Old Testament, there's the history and in many of the prophecies written by the prophets, you, that clearly sign gives you an inroad to that for example it's so important to study the books in in a systematic way you know we we've heard the term systematic theology all that means is studying the bible in a systematic organized way so for example if you want to look at say 
concepts of death, for example, you would look at what does the Bible say in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let me give you a, a nicer example, marriage, for example, or engagement. What was the Jewish practice of engagement? What, you know, the being betrothed, what was that? How was that enacted in the old and in the new? which we can see, for example, with Mary and Joseph, what does it mean to be betrothed? We hear these terms. So a study of the Bible and the background critically will give us an understanding of what that means. And then we can apply it to the 21st century appropriately. So adding to my question, um, if people are to understand the history Apart from that book, that great book called the Bible, the best-selling book in the world, where else do people find out about that history? Well, there were, I mean, there were several commentators, several authors that view an example. And the Craig Keenan, he is, he's my favourite New Testament scholar. So there were several scholars, um, several scholars that also write commentaries. He's literally um, done several commentaries on several New Testament books, um, one on Galatians, he's got a, a single volume, one on Corinthians, and he speaks about a number of topics, including women in ministry and what have you, but he really focuses on the background to the Bible to draw out the meaning so that we get a clearer understanding. For example, another important text, when I was growing up and I came from a Pentecostal background and like you, I'm now non-denominational for a variety of reasons, although my church is Pentecostal charismatic in terms of its liturgy, we used to wear hats because it was felt that the Bible said women should cover their hair. And so literally, when I was growing up, and this is this in the church that I went to, up until the year 2000, women wore hats, were required. It was a requirement. So that's an example. Now, if you understood the cultural context, who was the audience, etc., and then you'd understand the clash of the Jew Jewish Christians and those who were non-Jews or the Gentiles, it would then give you further insight as to what that head covering symbolically means. It's, it's interesting. There's so many examples. Peter the Rock, mm. big debate, mm. big discussion, mm -hmm. because, you know, did it mean Peter was the rock or did it mean that rock, which was used for the worship of other than God, mm -hmm. was, was, it, was it Jesus planting the church on that rock so it's suppressed you know yeah. th there are so many levels to that I mean I, I was looking at um uh, the late Ravi Zacharias uh, oh. brilliant brilliant apologist oh, yes. and um w one of the reasons I'd say that you know theology is definitely needed is to actually defend our faith and we're living in modern times, aren't we, oh. Dr. Carol, oh. where, you know, we have to defend our faith. We've got generations coming up who want to know answers and will Google for it <laughs> unless we've got the answers ourselves. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm actually glad you said that because yeah. I was thinking of um, the, the having a knowledge 
an in-depth knowledge or sufficient knowledge so that we can defend. Paul actually says we should give a reason. That word reason means rational, logical presentation yeah. for our belief. And as you rightly said, we're living in the modern era where all kinds of issues are literally presenting themselves to us. Issues of race, issues of sexuality, issues of women, equality, and so on and so forth. What is our biblical stand on some of these key issues in the 21st century? And I myself, as a minister, I've had to grapple with some of these key issues so that congregants and individuals can be, um, at least I can debate with them on these issues biblically. So even in your assembly, which oh. is uh, Restoration Fellowship Ministries, and you've got two branches, one in yeah. Leeds and one in Birmingham, love, love, lovely congregation. But So you've had to grapple with these issues even in oh, your yes. own congregation. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, and Prophetess Tamika um, Fusey, as you know, who is the leader of the Birmingham branch. And the, at one point we were leading the Birmingham branch together till I came to Leeds and I remember one Sunday if I can give an example one of the young people actually came to church very distressed mm. because she said her teacher was more or less I don't want to use the word forcing her but strongly or very forcefully saying to her that she must write that her belief on um, homosexuality, which was sort of counter to the traditional biblical view. Um, mm. And she felt she was in a very awkward position. She was only 15, 14, 15 at the time. But what was for me very interesting is that she could come to the assembly and discuss that openly. Um, without any wrong and right answers per se, but we could give her the biblical view mm. and give her some strategies for managing herself in such an encounter in future so that she's not in a vulnerable position. Uh, that's just an example. It's um, a very good know. example. It, yes, yes. And, and it's the sort of real ex life example that, you know, uh, people are, are grappling with every, every yeah. level at the moment. There yeah. are so many issues that have come out of our modern society. I mean, take this COVID um, yes. for example. You know, I, I, I read something. I'm not sure where the research has come from. Many sources, I suspect, probably Google, but one one of the sources says that the search for God, faith, have gone up exponentially because people are grappling with what their reason, what their purpose yeah. is, why yeah. these things happen. Yes. Um, and so as ministers, as leaders, we have an obligation to explain to people um it's no longer probably possible to say the bible says 
So I wanted to turn to you and ask you why you think, um, and, and you've actually covered this question quite yeah. well uh, so far, but wondered, wondered what people, why people don't want to engage with mm. formal Christian yeah. education. Yeah. Yes, okay. Um, I think we have to be clear in terms of the Christian tradition with which we're referring this particular question. Um, certainly in some branches of the Pentecostal tradition in particular, and it's historical, the reasons why some ministers are reticent about any type of theological education. Some people, they break out in hives, as you know, when they hear the term theological education. Literally, they break out in and they become nervous. The reason is historical. Unfortunately, in the, I'm say turn of the century, the last century, the end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century, there were a group of critical scholars, critical writers, critical theologians who questioned the God of miracles, the God of the Bible. They questioned that and there was a lot of writing um, which coincided with the so-called Enlightenment period. That's just a period in France, philosophers who were debating science and life and all the rest of it. And so as a result of that, at the same time, at the beginning of the 20th century, at Azusa Street, you had the modern day Pentecostal revival movement, the beginning of that. So in many ways, there was a clash. So on the one hand, here were those that were questioning the God of miracles, the God of the Bible. And then on the other hand, you had this great movement at Azusa Street in Los Angeles, thought to be the birthplace of modern Pentecostalism, at least in the West. And so there was a clash. And so in many ways, it's historical. And so you'll find individuals, black, white, of different backgrounds who are Pentecostals will often poo-poo even <laughs> on the word, poo-poo on the word theological education because of that historical factor that has somehow seeped in to the consciousness of individuals yeah and and that's um uh, that's something i mean i i um as you know decided to um go back to university at the age of 57 <laughs> which was this four years ago now and um i actually got some comments oh. like oh so you want to be a pastor oh, yeah um you could do it without doing all that yeah uh, why don't you just study the Bible better? Or, you know, sort of odd comments like that. Complete misunderstanding of what, what it was all about. Can I just say, um, mm. as someone has said, and that we're the only field in many ways where you are not trained to fulfill that particular vocation. I'm actually a qualified teacher as well as an academic and I spent four years of formal training and so even though I believe I'm a teacher by nature and nurture I also 
know that I've had the formal training that will enhance my teaching efficacy. So unfortunately, um, sometimes I think some ministers actually do themselves a disservice by not wanting to engage in any type of theology. I think they do themselves a disservice. And um, apart from as an individual, Mm. we're possibly, possibly doing a disservice Mm. to those people that according to Matthew 28, 19 to 20, we should be reaching. Go ye therefore, you know, make disciples. But how do we do that if we ourselves are not not. fully equipped and um, showing ourselves (laughs) approved? Shall I go on? (laughs) Yeah, please do, because I was thinking as you were saying that, that Jesus himself had 12 men, disciples, who he trained, um, and they were trained. Certainly, you could say, well, it wasn't formal training. They had the master himself. That was as high as training as you could get. But Paul the Apostle, it's not lost on me that Peter, who was with Jesus, James and John, did not write significant portions of the New Testament. It was Paul. Paul trained at the feet of Gamaliel, the highest teacher of the law. So Paul himself was an academic. And when you look at the writings of Paul, philosophically, even as ministers, many of us struggle to really understand Pauline theology or the the writings of Paul and so I think it's really important and Paul himself spent three years again after his conversion literally studying as well but he already had a background in the law at you could say the feet of the highest teacher of the law and so I think that is significant that Paul the Apostle, who we love to quote after Jesus, was a very educated person in the scripture. So that's why he was able to marry the Old Testament with the revelation of Christ, because he had the training, the philosophical training of the law. He understood the law, and now God was able to reveal to him aspects of the kingdom and Christology, which means the study of Christ. Christ, yes. So um, uh, this is so interesting. Uh, we could go on all day, yes. but I know we don't have it. So no. <laughs> I want to, I want to um, go back to, you know, your dream. I remember mm. we were talking, you said you had this dream. Mm. And um, that dream has now um, come to fruition because your dream was to open a theological seminary. Oh. And that's exactly what you did. So oh. tell me tell me about that. Okay. It's an online school because I realized that, as you said, many ministers are bifocal. Um, and so because they vocational, have yeah. vocational, I'm thinking mm. vocal, no. it's because I've been doing, commu- <laughs> it's because I've just been doing some research on communication. No problem. Bifocal. <laughs> <Bi-vocals. laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so by vocational, thank you. Yeah. Um, because they are, it means that unfortunately they don't always have the time 
to study as they would like. And so what my course or school is designed to do is to give them the appropriate um, ministerial um, content to enhance their ministry practice. So that's the reason why my school is, and the other thing about my school is that I wanted to provide education that would be relevant to those mainly in the Pentecostal and charismatic tradition who often, who often unfortunately don't favor theological education. Um, other traditions, United Reformed, um, Westminster College, Cambridge, and I've got links with them. You've got your Methodists who were trained and also obviously the Anglicans, you've got St. Miletus and you've got Queens and you've got other um, universities even and seminaries or schools that they, the individuals can go to. Um, but there isn't really, and you obviously the Baptist, you've got Spurgeons, but where is your central school or college or university or institution for your Pentecostal ministers, your charismatic and Pentecostal ministers? So there isn't really a space per se which would be something that they could really relate to. So right. one of the, I suppose, aims of my school is because I myself am a minister in that tradition and I'm familiar with that tradition, I'm aware of some of the issues within that tradition. Hence, my school is primarily but not exclusively designed for those in that tradition. Mm, that that's um that's brilliant because you know sometimes people want um want a real reason why it should be one seminary yes um compared to the other and you're taking students um the uk and further afield i guess yeah because it's it's online yeah Um, the the main things you have to be in christian leadership and by that not necessarily a bishop, an apostle, a prophet, uh, you know, a pastor. You can be a, a, a youth worker, a lead youth worker. You can work in a uh, an environment like tier fund, Christian related. So as long as it's sacred related and you're in some kind of leadership capacity, that's really the qualification. And you have to have a degree in any subject or uh, advanced level learning, HND, HNC, NDQ at level three and above, and advanced learning because it is postgraduate level. That's the qualification as well. And if I may say, there were many ministers in the UK, particularly from, I was going to say West Africa, in particular, although many from South Africa, but there is a, a, a lot from West Africa who are qualified Definitely. with PhDs and qualifications coming Definitely. out of their ears, mm. but unfortunately don't have any type of theological background. Mm. So hence, remember some individuals, if you've got masters and degrees as some individuals have, 
And that's borne out by the research. The highest qualified individuals are those actually from West Africa. A lot of people don't know that, but there is a study that I can quote that I won't cite now, which, which has documented that. So they might not want to do, quote unquote, a degree because they may feel, well, I've already got degrees in the plural. So they've got the tools already for learning at a higher level. So that's as well. And it's all relative. It's yes. all relative because yes. if we're studying um, theology, you know, mm. it's not that you're downgrading yourself. It's because mm. it's a subject that perhaps you need insight to. And as you said, they're already equipped academically. Mm. Um, so should find it um, less, less stressful. So can I just add, mm. um, and this is important. So sorry. That's My right. course is theological ministry studies so yeah. the emphasis is on theology for ministry yeah. so it's a combination to enhance their ministry practice so it's not just about theology it's theology with the aim of enhancing their practice okay so yeah. for example you would include something like pastoral care would you yeah, uh, yeah. and maybe managing a church possibly and that sort of thing is those um, sorts of stuff right yes and the first there's a module which actually deals with that particular area right. um leadership yeah. and how we lead effectively pastoral burnout very important pastoral burnout the pastor or minister as a wounded healer yeah. so these are some of the issues very relevant to the pastor and how do you communicate your vision that's another facet of, of the first mm. program how mm. do you communicate your vision your mission how is that communicated for example so there are issues of communication as well that we deal with so um, it, really, it's a it's a it's a, a practical theology yes. source, really, yes. which is yes. which is so needed because yes. it, I love academia, but at the end of the day, how is it helping you to communicate with those oh. people that actually oh. need to understand? I know it's online, but what what sort of media will you use apart from um, the the written stuff? Is oh. are there videos? Are there um, Zoom classes? How, yes. How's it working? Right, okay. So there are Zoom classes. There's obviously um, responses to different articles. There's um, obviously assignments. It's also, there are also short assignments. There are responses to online forum discussions. I think they're always very interesting. So it's a number of approaches that you would use in technological teaching or teaching using technological assisted learning. And there are a number of ways in which the learning is consolidated. So there's a formative assignment, which is an assignment in the middle of the course to assess how you're doing. And then there's a final assignment um, as well. So there are a number of different and there's responses to texts, um, articles, um, comprehension type questions as well. And there's journaling, reflective practice. 
practice. I've got mm. a whole topic on reflective practice because of my education background where you have to be a reflective educator. Mm. I've then applied that with the ministry practice. So you become mm. a reflective minister. Reflective practice is, is and it's something that people, they might do it in their head, but if it's more form, I find that, you know, if you write things down, you know, that the Bible does say, you know, write the vision and make it plain. plain. We need to write things down sometimes Uh to almost remind ourselves where we were and where we are now and what we would do differently as well. So, Doctor, I'm I'm so um, so grateful for your time, and this sounds so exciting. Um, how do people get in touch uh, for the course? Okay, I've got a website, and on the website, the application is online. So, there's an online application. You can make inquiries online. So, everything is on the website. www obviously dot K S T no sorry K S theology sorry K S theology dot com theology dot com and those um, that link will actually be on the show notes for this episode as well so people can check it out as well as a link um, to the book preach it and there's a Facebook group as well which you yes. can. Um, so that you, you're, you're part of a community. It's been fascinating and really, really um, useful for, I'm sure, people who really want to have a conscience yeah. to know that they need to show themselves approved through the study of theology. Dr. Carol, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. God bless and keep you. And may you expand, not physically, from the left and the right. (laughs) God bless. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you gained some insights. If you did, please share the show link with other leaders. And don't forget, every Monday, we'll release another episode of the Healthy Church Growth Show.